Hey y'all, you're listening to Damsels in Detroit, the podcast all about women from the city that are killing it in their industries. I'm your host, Evan Webb. Each week, I invite a damsel to come on and talk with me about their life, careers, and why Detroit girls do it better. Hey y'all, we're back with another episode of Damsels in Detroit. This is episode 50. I'm very excited. I can't believe we made it to 50 episodes. Um, and today we are going to be talking about jewelry um, with Trish Carruth. Did I say your last name right? Uh-oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I lost you. Okay. I'm like, I lost you. Okay. So I'm going to read a little bit about Trish before we get into our questions. <laughs> Trish Carruth is a third generation jeweler in Detroit. She attributes her passion to find, for fine jewelry to her grandfather, who opened up the gold mine, which was a fine jewelry pawn shop located on the city's east side near downtown. Through her time working at her grandfather's shop, she learned the ins and outs of the trade. Trish decided that she wanted to make an impact on the industry in a unique way, which led her to create your personal jeweler. She's got all the knowledge from a decade's worth of experience in the industry, unmatched service, and unbeatable prices. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. No problem, guys. This is my first <laughs> virtual podcast interview. <laughs> So we are going to make this work um, in the spirit of this pandemic, okay? So <laughs> um, so I have a lot of questions for you, like I said, so we can jump right on in. Um, so as I said in your bio, your intro to the jewelry industry was working at your grandfather's shop, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I was like doing some Googles and I was like, wow, this was, it looked like such a huge building. So I'm like curious to know. Just pretty much like what your experience was like being in the shop. I'm sure you were there all of the time and how that inspired you to start your own business. Mm -hmm. The place was huge. It actually used to be a bank before he owned it. Mm -hmm. And so there was a huge safe in the back. And that's where I'd spend most of my time sorting through diamonds and stuff and organizing for them. And then when I got older, I started to do more of the pawn side of um, actually like doing the valuation and determination of what clients would bring in and how much that was worth. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun. It was nice. But then I went to another jewelry store that was more like fine jewelry based later on. And I learned even more. Nice. Oh, no. Faded out. Oh, no. I'm still here. My mom calls at the most random oh. times. <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm out shopping. Do you want some boots? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thank you. But no, I'm still here. Um, so what type of certification do you need to become a jeweler, like a certified jeweler? Because I'm sure nobody can just up and say, like, I'm about to start a jewelry company. So what did you have to do? Actually, you don't need anything. And it's oh. surprising that a lot of the jewelry store owners don't really have any formal background or training. I went to GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. Mm -hmm. I did um, virtual classes. And then in 2018, yeah, 2018, I went to California and did their lab classes. And so I got a certification in diamonds. And I will be going back so that I can get a graduate gemologist degree. Nice. So how long did that take you? And like, is it difficult? Did you find it pretty easy? Um, probably because you already had the experience. Yeah, it was pretty easy for me. But if you don't have the background knowledge, it can be a little bit difficult. It took me about two and a half years to complete. Okay. Okay. And then is there a lot of homework involved or is it pretty much like exam based? 
uh, a lot of homework involved. I remember going through the chapters and being like, okay, this is interesting. This is something that I didn't remember. And then going to like take an exam and being like, what was that again? (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad I go back periodically and I review things because I'm not that good at remembering off you. Like I have to (laughs) re-examine so that Mm -hmm. I can stay up to date with things. And a lot of things changes in the industry too. There's always something new coming out or a new treatment or a new way of making diamonds. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if like you feel like things like the industry is ever changing or do you feel like pretty much, I mean, cause gems and stones have been around for forever. So is it like, this is what it was hundreds of years ago and this is what it is now, but I guess not. (laughs) Lab grown. Uh, gems and diamonds are taking over and lab grown diamonds are fairly new. I know when I got married in 2015, Mm -hmm. they were out there, but they really weren't price competitive with what you were going to get for an earth mine. So the majority of people that were buying lab grown diamonds were doing it because it was more Mm eco-friendly, but now they're about 50% less than an earth mine diamond. So a lot more people are taking interest in them. Okay. Can you talk to me about that process too? Because my mind is not wrapping around <laughs> the fact that you can make a diamond yeah. in a lab. <laughs> so there's two different ways that you can make a diamond in a lab. Mm-hmm. One is HPHT, which is high pressure, high temperature. Okay. It basically just mimics what would happen naturally. So mm-hmm. millions of years ago under the earth, it was a lot of heat carbon and a lot of pressure and a diamond was formed. So they take that same instance and they take a small little diamond seed and recreate it in a chamber. And you're able to create a diamond within a few days Mm -hmm. to a few weeks, what would take millions of years. Wow. And then the other one is a CBD chemical vapor deposition where they use chemicals and heat it up. And then it basically just kind of like evaporates into a diamond being formed. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So (laughs) what you have or what you offer are, do you have a mix or is it strictly lab grown? I offer everything, but the majority of my clients buy lab grown. Okay. Wow. That is so interesting. I mean. (laughs) The easiest way that I can explain it to people is that it's the same uh, physically, chemically, and optically. Mm -hmm. So if you were to get ice out of your freezer, you would still consider it real ice. Right. If you go outside and you see an icicle, that's ice too. Mm-hmm. It's just the one that was in your freezer was man-made and the one outside was made by nature. Okay. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. Next question is, you are a private jeweler. So can you talk about the difference between what that means versus, I guess, if you go into a jewelry shop in the mall, like what are the major differences between what you're doing and what, um, someone else, I guess. is Yeah. So I am appointment only. Okay. When you go into a jewelry store in the mall, there's normally a few of sales associates around and they'll kind of either hang back or they'll be really aggressive mm-hmm. and they'll be on you trying to like, well, what do you want? What brings you in here today? Right. All that yada yada. But they're really more focused on like the bottom line and a sale where I approach it more from like a client base. Mm-hmm. And I talk to you like you were my friend or you were my family. And I take everything about you and kind of turn that outward to give you different options. But Mm -hmm. I don't push something on you just because it's what's right for someone else doesn't mean that that's what's right for you. Yeah, I 
worked a lot of retail and I definitely I feel like I have an eye for like okay I know this person is working commission because the way that they are pressing me <laughs> about buying yes. something is just too much and that makes you not I mean it makes you feel intimidated it makes you feel rushed I don't like to be rushed while I'm doing things like I'm very indecisive so I need to take my time I need to look at everything I want to be heard so if I'm telling you I want to look at something yellow I need you to show me all the shades of yellow that you have <laughs> not oh but blue it looks so much better on you yeah yeah so and I like I get it you know you have to work you have to make money but yeah I think Jewelry is such a personal thing, right? Especially if it's a ring, something that you're going to be wearing every day. You don't want to feel like you are pressured into buying something. You're like, you get home and you're like, I actually really hate this. So Yeah. yeah. And the majority of what I make here is custom made too. Mm -hmm. So it's special for you. I feel like when you go into a jewelry store, it's kind of like they're trying to make you fit into like a size shoe. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, what about this? What about that? For a lot of people, it's a combination of different rings or different pieces that they like that will make the perfect piece for them. Yeah, agreed. So what type of shopping experience do you aim to provide for your clients? Like I know you said everything is custom. So Say if I, or not everything, but you do a lot of custom. Um, so say I'm coming into your shop. I haven't been. So if yeah. I'm coming in for the first time, what should I expect? So it's real personalized and laid back. If it's an engagement consultation, there's mimosas and donuts. Because yeah. I like to eat and have a little bubbly on the side. And before we even look at jewelry, you'll sit down on the couch and we'll kind of just discuss what it is that you like, what you do for a living, because what you do for a living and your activities are going to affect what rings are best suited for you. And so we take all that into consideration before we look and then we start the custom design process. Okay. So if you're someone that I guess maybe works with their hands or something, what kind of rings would you suggest? Or I guess what is the difference like I guess, depending on what type of work that person does, what would you suggest? So if you work a lot with your hands, lower settings are great. Okay. If the foam's set up too high, you can knock it easily. Um, bezel set rings are great because there's metal surrounding the entire stone. So you mm-hmm. don't have to worry about hitting it or chipping it. And then also the type of stones that we use. Okay. So diamonds are the hardest. They're rated 10 on the most, the moist scale. And then under diamonds are sapphires and rubies. And then there's a lot of other gemstones that are softer. So depending on like Morganite is a really popular gemstone and a lot of people want it in their engagement ring. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I'm like, well, what about a pink sapphire that's close in color? Because it's a lot harder. And you say that you work out a lot and you don't want to take off your ring constantly. So this would be better suited for you. Mm -hmm. Morganite is really pretty. And doesn't it like represent like self-love or... Something yeah. like that. I know that. <laughs> That's like the only thing I know. Everything else, I'm like, this is foreign to me. <laughs> okay, so when purchasing fine jewelry, what are some things that people should keep in mind to make sure that they're making good purchases? Because they are, I mean, jewelry is an investment. At least I look yeah. at it like that. <laughs> yes. Um, so for gold jewelry, there's different metal carrots. Mm-hmm. But what people don't um, often get is the higher the carrot, the softer that the metal is. Oh, okay. So I normally work with 14 carat or 10 carat jewelry, mm-hmm. especially for rings. 
A lot of people like the color of 18 karat or the color of 22, but it gets to be really soft. And those are pieces that are going to be better for occasions and not everyday wear. So we try to take that into consideration. Okay. That was actually one of my questions that I had too. Like, I don't know the differences between carrots. I assume that the higher the number, the better the quality or like, oh, this is a 24 carat whatever. So it just makes your eyes kind of like go big. But I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So 24 carat is pure gold. That's the highest that you can get. And then any other carat underneath is called like an alloy metal. So it's gold mixed with either nickel or other metals to help keep it hardened and Mm -hmm. to change the color. So like for white gold, nickel is added to it and then rhodium on top of it to make it like that bright white color. Mm -hmm. A natural white metal would be platinum, which some people go with, but platinum's normally more expensive. Okay. I'm learning so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I want to talk about your computed aider computer-aided design experience because 3D printing is such a huge thing. (laughs) Um, I was, like, taking a peek at your Instagram and, like, just looking at some of the molds that you're able to do. Like, they're super detailed and intricate. So how long did it take you to learn (laughs) how to make jewelry (laughs) with a 3D printer? And just, like, your experience with um, CAD overall. Like, how has that been? There was a lot of times that I was just like, I want to quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to outsource this. I don't want to do it. It's so many headaches because there's when you do cat design, you can make it visually look nice on the computer right. and then you go and you print it and it fails. Okay. So it's like trial and error going back. What did I do wrong? How do I make this mm-hmm. a castable piece where it's wearable too? And right. so... I had so much <laughs> trouble in the beginning going back and forth and trying to learn it. And my mentor got tired of me. It was just <laughs> a lot. And then the 3D printer that I got, none of the prints would stick to the bed for like three mm-hmm. months. And I was just like, <laughs> I finally have these pieces that are printable <laughs> and they're still not cat. Like they're still not printing right. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely <laughs> a rough experience, but I'm glad that I muddled through it. Yeah. Yeah, same because look at you now. <laughs> but they're so intimidating. Like when you just look at the machine, like if you don't know what it is yeah. or how to use it, it's just like how how is the computer going to tell this machine to make yes. this physical thing? Like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so do you use it pretty much for every client or just mostly with like custom um, designs? Uh, just for custom designs. Okay. And then it's just to make, like, this is what your ring is going to look like. Or I guess that's better, too, because you don't want to set something or do something. And then it's like, oh, I actually don't like this. Or I want to change X, Y, and Z. So it'll be like, this is kind of the example. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the render that you get on the computer, it's nice. But unless you're actually, like, seeing it on or, like, seeing it to scale, mm-hmm. you really don't know how much you're going to like it. So I feel like a combination of the two, seeing that rendering from the computer and then seeing the actual wax mode is the perfect example of what you're going to get so people really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So what makes a metal precious? Like, what mm-hmm. is the difference between a good metal and a not-so-great metal? <laughs> Um, precious is just more or less like the abundance. So precious metals would be considered silver, platinum, and mm-hmm. gold. Okay. Um, and then 
non-precious metals that we work in, um, tungsten, titanium, uh, black zirconium. They're real popular for men's wedding bands. They're harder metals too. And so they're great for men that work. The only downside to them is that they can't be resized easily. Uh, Is it? Oh, I guess because they're so hard. Yeah. And then how do you resize stuff anyway? Is it like literally just drilling and making it? For a goat, yeah. So you'll cut it like straight down the middle and then you'll add a piece of sizing stock to it or you'll take away a little bit of gold. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, what we call solder that you add to it. Then you polish it so you can't even tell that it's ever been sized. If a good jeweler does it. (laughs) If you see a mark. (laughs) (laughs) If you see a mark, then they didn't do a good job. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever had a situation where like you had to make somebody's ring bigger, but then you had to turn around and make it smaller again and then you had to go and like make it big? Like they just had like fluctuating fingers or something. Well, I had one customer who got an engagement ring Mm -hmm. and he said that she was, what did he say? He said that she was an eight. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I, I really don't think that she's an eight because I've seen a picture of her. So I'm like, I really don't think. And he's like, no, I'm sure. <laughs> and then he came back after we had already made it in the eight. He was like, no, sorry, she's a seven. <laughs> and so we're like, okay. So we sized it to the seven and then he gave it to her. And then she was really a six. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And so then we sized it the third time and it's just, it's not good to size a ring that much. You are messing, especially when there's a lot of stones in the setting. Mm -hmm. And so what we ended up doing was remaking the ring all over again, because it's an engagement ring. It's sentimental. We don't need to lose stones from it or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And I watched one of your IGTV videos where you were talking about how it was, it was pretty interesting. You're talking about like sizing people's fingers and you're saying like, when some of my clients come in, especially like in Michigan, if they have gloves on, their hands are maybe warmer or something. Can you talk about how to yeah. properly size? <laughs> so our hands tend to fluctuate about a half size, like if we're in the dead heat of summer versus being in the cold of winter. And so a lot of people, they'll come in and their hands are really cold right away. So we're putting on ring sizers and they're feeling big. And I'm like, it's going to be okay, okay. <laughs> when your hands are warm. Like, this is the size. Mm-hmm. And they don't trust me. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> just sit over there for a second. Put your hands on the heater. Mm-hmm. Let it warm up. And then let's try it on. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good size. I'm like, yeah, because you don't want it to be too tight when your hands are cold. Because once your hands are warm, it's going to be hard to get off. Okay. And then vice versa, if your hands are really warm and we're putting it on, then in the dead of um, the winter, it's going to be too big. Okay. That's so crazy. I mean, you hear about other parts of your body fluctuating, but I never pay attention to my <laughs> hands like that. But I guess, is it noticeable to the eye? Like, are you able to see, like, my finger is a little bit, you know, you won't larger. See it, but you'll, <laughs> you won't see it, but you'll notice it. So, like, my ring right now is fitting, mm-hmm. like, perfectly. But, like, if I was just to come outside, it would just be, like, spinning mm-hmm. <laughs> really mm-hmm. easy but I wouldn't want to make it any tighter because if my hands were warm it would be a struggle to get off okay your ring is so pretty I didn't Thank know you. that was yours I was looking at that when <laughs> I sent it to my friend and I was like this is so <laughs> like this is so beautiful I literally 
change my ring almost every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can never just be satisfied with it. I always want something different, something new. And so my husband was finally like, you know what? You can just change your ring every year. I'm like, all right, cool. Because I still wear the other ones too, but like the new one is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Did you design your first one? <laughs> so my first one, um, I never even got to wear. It was stolen before he could <gasps> give it to me. <laughs> Oh my God. And then my second one was a solitaire setting that was from my grandfather that he had given to my grandmother as a mm-hmm. promise ring, like way yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So that one, it was sentimental, but it wasn't my style. Okay. <laughs> and then the third one I designed, um, wait, I missed one in between. Oh, he gave me a promise ring <laughs> in okay. between that that he regave as like an engagement ring for me to wear when I wasn't wearing my grandma's because it okay. was more my style than like my grandma's. And then uh, the fourth one I designed and this one I designed. Okay. And I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next year. Oh my God, that is so funny. You just have a collection <laughs> of wedding rings. <laughs> one day, I'll be like you. That's a new goal for me. I didn't have that goal before, but I have it now. <laughs> now that I know that's a thing. <laughs> normally people are just like I'll get a new stacking band every year I'm like yeah I'm just gonna switch the whole thing up (laughs) that's not enough (laughs) so the diamonds that you're not creating in a lab where do you source those from so a few places I like to get a lot of them from Canada because Canada's mining um, practices are really nice but then I also have ones from overseas that come from Africa and India it really just depends on the customer's price point because mm-hmm. Canadian diamonds, they're more money okay. um, just because of like their origin sourcing and how they go about doing things. Okay. I've never heard of Canadian diamonds. <laughs> I assume they all came from like, I don't consider, I know it is, but I don't consider Canada another country because it's right there. <laughs> so sometimes I forget that they are not part of the United States. <laughs> Okay, we already talked about the difference in carrots, so I won't ask you that again. But um, I was looking at the selection that you have on your site, and I noticed that the price point, I thought, was very reasonable. um, Because I think that a lot of people, when they think about fine jewelry, they're like, this is going to cost me in the five figures. Like, I think it just intimidates a lot of people. So can you talk about why that's so important to you to offer affordable jewelry? It's really important to me because as a millennial, I know mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have it so forth. Okay. So a lot of the people around me can't <laughs> either. So a lot of the items that I create, I create it as if I was uh, shopping for myself in mm-hmm. mine. And so when you go to retail jewelry stores, they're normally, they normally operate on what's called triple key. So meaning whatever they pay for it, they charge three times as much. And that's just because they have such high overhead. They have to pay for their shop. They have to pay for the employees. They have to pay for a lot of their pieces before they've even sold it. So the way that they operate is different. I make everything for the most part to order Mm -hmm. and I keep my overhead low so that I can not um, have markups that are that high. Okay. Wow. Three times. (laughs) That just seems, I mean, when you broke it down, I understand, but it still sounds a little scamish. (laughs) So now I know whenever I'm ready to get some more jewelry, I'll just come to you. (laughs) 
<laughs> people will come to me, they'll be like, oh, well, we went here and they're having a 65% off sale. And I'm like, that's still too much. Right. <laughs> like my everyday price is still like 20% lower than that. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so how much inventory do you keep at a time? Do you try to just, mm-hmm. you know, keep it on the minimal mm-hmm. side or... Minimum. So I have my prototype engagement rings Mm -hmm. that are sterling silver and CZ just for people to come and try on and see if they like. Mm -hmm. And then before COVID, I was traveling a lot to jewelry trade shows. Mm -hmm. And so I would just pick up different wholesale pieces from vendors and closeouts that were a really great deal. And I'd bring them back. And since I haven't really been able to travel, my stock has depleted a lot. Okay. The next trade show is in March, and I'm thinking about going to it so that I can restock. Mm-hmm. Where do the trade shows normally happen, or do you have, like, a particular one that you mm-hmm. go to every year? Um, Vegas is my favorite. Okay. It's held every June, and it's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Well, I take that back. Vegas is actually my second favorite. There's one in Atlanta, okay. and the Atlanta one, like, their southern hospitality <laughs> is just great. <laughs> You can't get as much there, but the vendors are so sweet. The people that host it are really sweet and you just get a more like a better interaction and you're able to sit down and really get to know the people that you're buying from and make sure that their values align with your values and you're supporting someone who supports you. Yeah. Customer service. Always key. Yeah. Like no matter what side of the, what part of the totem pole you're at, if you're at a trade show, trying to be somebody's vendor. It still matters. <laughs> okay. So next question is what is your favorite shape of diamond personally? Ew. Right now oval. Oh, <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I think they're just so like I don't know, classic. Like I feel like that will ne- I'll never get tired of looking at that shape of ring. Yeah. And they look you get a better surface value for like the carrot size too than like a traditional round diamond. Mm-hmm. What is your least favorite? Mm-mm. I don't want to say a marquee because <laughs> I'm in the middle of making a marquee okay. diamond for a customer. <laughs> it's not that they're my least favorite. I would say that marquees are making a comeback. Okay. Marquees were more considered like older style up until like the past few years, but they are making a comeback. I'll say trillion, trillion cut. Okay. <laughs> we won't tell your client that you're making that for that. <laughs> your well, is his is cut. really cool though. Cause he's doing a black um, marquee and mm-hmm. then it's rose cut. Ooh. So it's a cool one. Okay. <laughs> so do you only wear fine jewelry now or do you go into, you know, some stores and you're like, oh, this costume jewelry is cute. I'll get this. Or are you just past I used that to be really bougie. <laughs> I used to be really bougie okay. and not wear any costume jewelry. Mm-hmm. And lately, I've been out and about and I've been like, oh, this is really cute. Like, I'll add it to my collection. I'll mix it in. Nobody will know that it's not. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I'm trying to think of how much fine jewelry I have. I have one necklace, but the chain it had my name on it, but the chain was. You know those starter chains they give you? They're so thin. So I was wearing it like every day. I wasn't taking it off and it just snapped. I guess it just came. Yeah. And I haven't gotten that replaced. And is that my only one? I think that's it. I need more. 
Yes. <laughs> I need to get more. What would you say is like a good starter piece or something that you feel like everybody should have? Mm, I'm obsessed with name necklaces now. They're really cute. And there's something that you can like pass down to your kid later on. Mm-hmm. I know I have one with my son's name on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, that and maybe just like a classic pair of gold hoops. Okay. I'll write that down. I got the necklace. I need to get some hoops. Well, I need to get the necklace fixed. <laughs> okay, I have a- I love coin jewelry, too. Coin jewelry is a great investment piece, too. So, like, the coin will normally be, like, solid 24 karat, and then you can get, like, 14 karat around it and put it on a necklace, and mm-hmm. that's, like, a great piece to pass down. Okay. Okay, so how do you come up with all of the names for your pieces? Because they all have such nice names. Are they named after people in your life? People in my life and people that I like. Okay. So I know one of them is named after an African queen. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a new line now that'll have um, RVP (laughs) be named after RVP. Yeah, so a a lot of them are just in general. Kamala is a good jewelry name. (laughs) <laughs> her mom knew something yes <laughs> okay so I have some listener questions and they're mostly from my friends um, okay that's fine so my friend Amara wants to know um, aside from diamonds what are some gemstones that you really really like um, for engagement rings I like moissanite they're a great alternative to diamonds and they're at such a friendly price point they're about one-tenth of the price of what a diamond would be for the Mm -hmm. same size and they actually have more fire so you get more sparkle from it okay i've heard of moissanite but it's not like the image is not coming to my mind they're white they look they're like very similar to a diamond they just have a little bit more fire so if you were to put a diamond next to a moissanite nine times out of ten people will pick the moissanite just because it's reflecting more light okay Hmm. Okay, I'll look into that. <laughs> okay, so my friend Bailey wants to know, how does someone get into the jewelry industry? Um, like, do you need to do an apprenticeship? Um, should you do some of the programs that you went through? Or what would be some best um, practices to incorporate? I would say find a small jewelry shop to work under. The corporate places, the way that they normally operate isn't what you're going to do if you were to start a small business. And then definitely take classes from GIA. They have a AJP, Applied Jury Professional Program, that basically just teaches you the basics. And it's a great introductory um, few courses to take that'll get you acclimated into the different carrots of diamonds and the evaluation of it. And then definitely get your business registered and sell a few things online because then you can register for the jury trade shows okay. and make industry connections. Okay. Um, she had a couple more questions. Um, she says, how do you know when you're dealing with a reputable jeweler? So is there something um, that should stick out? Is there something like any red flags where it's like, okay, you might not be the person <laughs> that I should be shopping yeah. for? Um, a big thing too is if you ask them that you want to have a um, an independent appraisal done if they're hesitant to that 
So if they're hesitant towards that, that normally means that they're evaluating the piece a lot higher than what someone else would. Or it could be that they're saying that the stones are different than what they are. Mm. I had my cousin call me the other day and a girl went to a small store in the Greenfield Plaza and bought her son an ID bracelet that she thought was gold, spent $200 on it. His wrist turned green, took it back, and it was just a brass metal over gold. And so a lot of these places will, if they don't think that you know any better, they'll easily sell you anything. I have feelings about Greenfield Plaza, but I'll... (laughs) I won't say anything else other than I don't like it so (laughs) there's that okay so her other question was outside of the four C's which I only knew two of them um cut clarity carrot and color what other questions should you ask a jeweler when looking for an engagement ring Mm. So fluorescence, a lot of times if a diamond is deeply discounted, it might have a lot of fluorescence in it. Some people don't mind fluorescence. Some people do. Um, Fluorescence is basically if you go out into like the natural sunlight, when Mm -hmm. the UVs hit it, it'll make the stone look like a dark blue or other colors. And so fluorescence really isn't that desirable in the industry. And so a lot of times, that's looked over okay. and if you're getting a really good discount it's probably because the stone has a little bit of fluorescence into it mm-hmm. um another thing girdle thickness if the girdle is too thin it can chip easily and if it's too thick um it can mess with the cut okay. and how well it's um reflecting light also the table measurements you want it to be around 55 to 60 percent table with if it's smaller than that then you're not going to get as much sparkle and if it's larger than that same thing Mm -hmm. um you want it to be like within the optimal size i just feel like you need to go in with like (laughs) a notebook (laughs) (laughs) full of questions or like have a little like checklist of like okay i answered all of my questions the biggest thing when you're buying a diamond is cut Mm -hmm. when you go to a jeweler they will try to play up clarity a lot and clarity is important but it's not as important um if you were to if you were to list the four c's like in order of importance Mm -hmm. for me it would be cut even if you have a flawless diamond with great color if it's poorly cut it's not going to sparkle um the second would be color color is visible to the naked eye whereas clarity is graded under a 10 powered loop So as long as the stone is above eye clarity, you shouldn't see any inclusions to your naked eye. And then carrot is solely up to you. Mm -hmm. There's um, magic numbers. So like if you are looking to buy one carrot and you want to save money, you can buy like a 0.95 and it's going to save you a lot of money in comparison to that one carrot that has the exact same color and clarity. But visually, you're not going to see a big difference. Okay. These are good tips. Thank you. I'm like (laughs) taking all of this in and I'm ready to shop. (laughs) Okay. Her last question was, what are your thoughts on crushed diamonds? (laughs) And then she attempted, she um, sent a screenshot of those like, okay, do you know, like those screw back earrings 
They're really okay. So the cluster settings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> um, they're good for if you have a certain price point. So like yeah. you can get the look of one carrot stud for a fifth of the price point. A lot of people too, like when they come to me, they associate carrot with the price, mm-hmm. but it's the price per carrot is based on the size of the diamond. Okay. So if you have a half a carrot diamond versus a one carrot diamond, the price per carrot, even if they're great at the exact same, is going to be extremely different. Okay. So if you have a whole bunch of little stones that are making up one carrot studs versus two solitaires making up one carrot studs, the price is going to be extremely different. Okay. Next person that has questions, my friend Brianna. Um, she says, what is the average cost of an engagement ring? Um, I'm assuming that has to do with, one, all of the things that you just named. <laughs> and probably yeah. like, the type of style that you want. But what would you say mm-hmm. if you could find like a median price? Or- I'd say an average 5000 Okay. But there's a lot of... So what I love to do is that girls can come in with pictures of engagement rings that mm-hmm. they've bought on whoever's site. And it could be like a $10,000, a $15,000 ring. And there's a hundred different ways to remake it, giving you that same look, but at different price points. So like mm-hmm. Moissanite's a really price point friendly option where for a lot of people, I'll suggest we can do smaller diamonds in the mounting, a moissanite in the center. And if one day you want to upgrade to a diamond, you can. But for right now, you have what you want and no one's going to be able to tell the difference unless they're a jeweler or they really (laughs) know their jewelry. Right. Or if you are really set in the earth mine, you can start off with a lab grown. And if you want to upgrade to an earth mine later, just because sentimentality reasons, you want it to be however many years old and that sentimentality behind it been great okay yeah if somebody is like checking your ring like that they're too close so in the backup <laughs> <laughs> okay our other question is what are some engagement ring traditions that you like and ones that you don't um when it comes to custom i love adding personalized details mm-hmm. to it so like For my ring, for example, he proposed in the Bahamas. So we have like a swirl pattern around it. Mm -hmm. And then on the inside, it's like hidden. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to see it from here. But there's the national tree of the Bahamas is Mm -hmm. the tree of life. And so we have the flower that grows on there. And then in the center, we have my son's birthstone to represent the life that we brought in the world together. And so things like that are what I absolutely love. And what I don't like is the tradition that men should come in by themselves to pick out the ring. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. I think it's so dated. I think you guys are partners. You should come in together. The end result can be a surprise, mm-hmm. but you should be included in the process. It's not like most people, you're, you're talking about marriage. You right. know that it's coming up eventually. Even if you come in with your spouse a year before he's going to propose, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we can hammer down what you're looking for, what you like, and I have all those notes, then you know that you're going to get something that you like. I feel like so many girls get rings and they pretend that they love them, but it's not really their style. Yeah. I hate surprises. I think everybody that knows <laughs> me knows this about me. I do not like them. And 
it just really like you know when somebody gives you a gift and you're just like dang do you not listen to me like at <laughs> all like, did you not hear me when I said like this is not what I want or this is what I want so I think that is a good tip because I, I just need to know I at least need to know that like I put my two cents in and then you were taking notes and, and listening to me <laughs> 90 I'm lucky 90 percent of the people that come in they come in together I made sure my marketing is targeted towards women it's mm-hmm. not targeted towards men my granddad at first was like you're not going to make it that's not going to work women aren't the purchaser and I was just like women drive the sales granddad I don't know what you're yeah, talking exactly. about but they steer their men in the right direction right sending pictures and being like oh this is so nice yeah <laughs> plotting the whole at time. least put together a nice Pinterest board for mm-hmm. them so right. that we have something to work with. Right, some direction. Okay, her last yeah. question was, how often should you get jewelry cleaned? Mm, professionally cleaned and inspected every six months. Okay. Um, yourself, you can do it as much as one week, as little as one month. Mm-hmm. It depends on how well you're taking care of it, too. So, like, if you're taking it off when you're washing your hands, if you're taking it off when you have on lotion. Mm-hmm. Diamonds are like dust magnets. Okay. <laughs> they attract dust and oil so much. So you can either clean it once a week if you don't want to constantly take it off or take it off so that you're only having to clean it like once a month. Okay. Do you recommend doing the same for like necklaces or bracelets or mm-hmm. even earrings? Yeah. Okay. Not well, not as much because they're not getting into contact with things as much as right. like your rings are because you work with your hands the most. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you kind of see like a little film on it or anything, it's time to take it for a cleaning. Okay. And then if someone wanted to do that at home, what should they clean it with? So my favorite DIY cleaner is um, Dr. Bronner's, mm-hmm. the Baby Castile Soap. Just a few drops of that in some warm water. Mm-hmm. Don't use hot water. And let it soak for a few minutes. Rinse it off. And then a really soft toothbrush. You can just scrub over it and then rinse it clean. Okay. Crazy that you can use Dr. Bronner's for literally anything. Everything. <laughs> I know they list it on the bottle, but still, when people tell me they use Dr. Bronner's for stuff, I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Because in my eyes, I'm like, this is just shower gel or whatever. <laughs> but no, it's literally for everything. Okay. I have a few more questions before we're done for the evening. So what are some goals that you would like to accomplish with your business this year? I know 2021 is still feeling very 2020-ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hopefully things are going to start to get better. Um, but yeah. even regardless, just what are some personal goals that you had this year? My biggest goal for this year with my business is expanding on the engagement experience. Mm-hmm. And so I want to start offering um, proposal packages, too. So before I decided to be a jeweler, I wanted to be a wedding planner. Okay. And I was really dead set on that until I got married myself. Mm-hmm. I had planned dozens of little events and they were great and I loved it. And then as soon as I decided to do my own wedding, I was in over my head. It was so <laughs> stressful. And I was like, if I'm this stressed for my own wedding, yeah. I can't imagine how much I'm going to be <laughs> for mm-hmm. someone else's. So I was like, up. Oh. 
time to kind of switch gears and figure <laughs> out how I can still <laughs> be in like the wedding industry without mm. being a wedding right. planner. Yeah, I love hosting events and planning things for myself. But I think that when, because when you create an event, you have a vision in your mind, you know how you want things executed. When you start adding other people into the mix and like, they're like, I don't like this, or you should do it this way. It's like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, you can have that. Can have okay. It. Never mind. <laughs> this is okay. This is your show. Okay. Um, well, that would be cool. So what would be included in the proposal package? Um, scouting the locations, videography, flowers, and all the little setups. Mm-hmm. That sounds cute. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I feel like some people definitely do need help. Yeah. <laughs> Nine times out of ten when I'm like, so how are you going to propose? They're like, we haven't, I can't, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, Maybe we'll go out to dinner. Like, no. Okay. <laughs> think outside the box. Make it, yeah. make it a thing. Yeah. How can people shop with you? Um, I know you said you're appointment-based, so... Do you prefer people just book online? Are you okay with people sliding in your DMs? Yes, you can book online. You can slide in my DMs. I also do diamond and donut events every Mm -hmm. Sunday where you and up to four of your friends can kind of just come and hang out, eat some donuts, sip on some mimosas, look around at stock. And if you're looking to have anything custom made, we can jump on my design software and kind of figure that out for you too. Mm -hmm. But it's a fun way to kind of like low key laid back, but still private. Okay. So are you still doing that even now? Like, are you and it's just like, as long as you have your mask on, you're good. Yeah. Before it was um, just open to like up to 10 people could book and then you could come in at once. Now it's private. So they're one hour mini slots Mm -hmm. and then you can come in with up to five people at a time. I want to do that. That would be nice. I know I had a girl just book for her birthday. She's like, we're going to do brunch and then we're going to come and shop. I'm like, that sounds like a nice birthday, actually. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. I'm going to get <laughs> my friends together. <laughs> so maybe we'll be seeing you soon. Okay. Um, yeah. And can you tell everyone where your shop is located? Yes. I am in Royal Oak downtown mm-hmm. right off 4th and Washington. I'm in the Washington Square Plaza building. It is connected to the Royal Oak Music Theater. Nice. And did I make this up or did you first start selling out of your home? Did I see that? Okay. I could could have sworn she posted this, but I could not find the picture or the video where you were talking about it. I'm like, why did you just create a nice (laughs) So when I decided to open my own business, I was still working full time at another jewelry store. And I kind of like let her know, like, not going to be here forever. Like, I'm going to kind of go and do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And then Sears had like a store closing and they were selling their jewelry cases. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? we could convert this room into an office, like a little store for me. So my husband helped and he put everything together for Mm -hmm. me. And then at first it was just like friends and family. 
And then family would like be referring their friends. And I'm like, I really got to get an office space soon. I just can't be having these random right. people at my house. Yes. Oh my God. Could you imagine it still being in your house right now? <laughs> yeah. That would be crazy. Okay. Well, that's a cool story though. Cause I was like, where in your home would you even <laughs> do this? Like that is insane to me, but that's cool. Okay. My favorite question to ask everyone is, what does it mean for you to be a damsel in Detroit? Ooh, that's a good one. Damsel in Detroit. I would say it means to me being able to own your craft and be professional in it and also represent your city. Love. That was a good one. And lastly, where can people connect with you on social and on the internet? Okay. So people get confused. My business is your personal jeweler, Mm -hmm. but it was like taken on all the social sites and even for the website. So it's the personal (laughs) jeweler for everything. At first, I wanted it to be like the personal jeweler, Mm -hmm. but that was taken too. So it's at the personal jeweler for Instagram, for Facebook, and thepersonaljeweler.com for my website. Okay. I hate when people take domains, like... Yeah. (laughs) Like, why can't you let me be great? Right. There's this one person that has Damsel in Detroit on Instagram. (laughs) They're not you. They've never posted. So I'm like, let me try to message them. Same thing. If they would... Never got a response. (laughs) Same thing. And it shows that it was, like seen and read but I'm like you haven't posted in like five years what do you want with this page just holding on to it being mean (laughs) like I'm running a business here I need this please (laughs) but anyway it works you know people are engaging (laughs) you're still getting put across okay well thank you so much Trish thanks for having me it was great chatting yes i'm glad i've been following you for a little bit so i'm glad we got to like meet virtually (laughs) yes same here i love your movement and what you're doing thank you thank you so much i'm trying just want to uplift people and let everyone know about the cool stuff that detroit women are doing so i appreciate you um as always guys thanks for listening i want you to remember that detroit girls do it better and we'll be back next week